Well, good morning. Glad you are here this morning in this room. And those of you joining us online, you're glad you could jump in with us. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Steve and I'm the senior pastor here. And we are in a series this month that we've called The Rich Life. Because on the global stage, we are rich on our, or on our way to being rich. And so we're trying to grapple with that with reality and, and what that means in our heart and with our skills as well. Now, you might be wondering, like, why Bronwyn isn't up here, because I told you last week she was going to be up here. Well, she has tested positive for COVID. And so um, surprise to you, surprise to me, you got me this morning. So... <laughs> But I'm, listen, I'm really excited about this series because I love how we're grappling with this idea of being rich. Um, to deal with some of the guilt that many of us feel about having more money than most in our world. To deal with the confusion that maybe we feel about how to navigate our way around that and how to think about it. After all, God has given us everything that we have as a trust for us to enjoy and to use. And so there shouldn't be guilt. And he also gives us insight about how to navigate that kind of a world when we have more than most do. Uh, so the confusion, it should dissipate as we learn over time. And that way we can take hold of the rich life and not just a life with more money in it. All right? Um, to supplement this on Sunday mornings, we also have workshops that are going on in our fellowship hall after these services designed to help us kind of increase our skills in other areas that we can't talk about this morning or do really well. The first one is today, and so you don't want to miss it. I want to encourage you to, after the service to get your coffee and go on into Fellowship Hall uh, to learn some skills around money. After all, uh, a bunch of us learned about money from what is by far the most popular board game in the world, Monopoly. Right? More than a billion people have played Monopoly on the face of this planet. There are 100 million downloads of its digital version as well. So like many of you, I grew up playing Monopoly. Not all the time or anything like that, but often enough for it to stick in my mind. Um, most memorably, I used to play with my childhood best friend, who oddly enough is also named Steve. Um, when I would get that initial money from the banker at the beginning of the game, I always hung on to my money as long as I possibly could. You know, I figured that you'd never know when you'd land on chance and you'd have to pay out stuff, you know. And so I mostly, you know, went for properties with higher price tags because I figured there'd be a higher return on them and never a utility. I mean, who buys a utility, right? Uh, rarely a property along that first row right before, right after go, unless I had the margin to do so and kind of splurge on those lower prices, right? Not Steve. Um, Steve, he knew how to play the game. He understood that you don't win without risk, and he never played for second. So he'd spend every dollar he had and buy whatever property he landed on. He'd even mortgage some of the properties he had to put houses and hotels and conglomerates on those monopolies that he had. He, didn't, he understood what I didn't. That accumulating in monopoly is the name of the game. And money is how you keep score. That way you'd eventually own enough. Have enough 
hotels and houses so that no one else could hurt you and no roll of the dice could harm you. I mean, even jail would be a safe and welcome haven from all of this, right? To keep your money, to let others precariously move free on that board. So nearly every time I played him, it was only a matter of time before I would land on boardwalk and hand over all of my money to Steve. But it's actually not the losing that made Monopoly games so memorable for me and stick in my mind about this. It was actually Steve's attitude during the whole time, during the game, after the game, that I came to admire about him. He never gloated or celebrated in my face like I would have done, right? He simply had fun and even taught me how to play the game better along the way so that one day I'd win. He even celebrated and congratulated me on those rare occasions when I did win, using the very things that he taught me how to do. You see, it was almost by instinct that Steve knew that it was just a game, that all the properties and railroads and utilities, all the houses and hotels, all the thousands of dollars of Monopoly money would go back in the box without any real meaning beyond the game. Steve could play Monopoly, and he could even be really, really good at it. But he could do so without losing sight of what really mattered. In a sense, that's the challenge that you and I face as well with our money because we're all kind of playing a version of Monopoly in our Western world, aren't we? And we can get so caught up with accumulating and getting more money that we can lose sight of what's really important. So much so that, that Paul emphasized that in the midst of being rich, we're to make sure that we build a life on what's really important. That verse that we looked at last week, that's kind of the linchpin of this entire series. He tells us that we're to do good and to be rich in good works. In fact, Jesus told a great story to drive that point home. He tells a parable about playing this game of life like it's Monopoly. And in this parable, we're going to see three things. We're going to see how we think the game should be played. We're going to see God's verdict on our hearts if we were to play that way. And how Jesus gives us a different skill set to play the game for what really matters. So let's go to this story of Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Why don't you grab your Bible, uh, get your phone out, and open your Bible app to Luke chapter 12. Um, and if you grab one of those blue Bibles around you, it is on page 871. And with this story open on our lap, we're going to listen to this powerful story as Olivia, Gate, Olivia Wingate reads it for us. And this is a powerful story that's going to hit some tender points in our heart if we let it do its job. And so let's ask God to help us hear it and internalize it and be gentle with us this morning, shall we? Let's pray. God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. That you might do your Spirit's work in us to alter how we think, to change how we live, 
that we might reflect your glory in this world more fully. And we'll trust you, Spirit, to do this and thank you in advance for doing it so kindly, so graciously, so generously to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there... I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, that parable, that story that Jesus tells, comes about because someone asked Jesus to step in and make a ruling about an inheritance. That was something that rabbis did in the day. After all, they were men who knew the scriptures. They, they had a sense of God's justice and what that could be meted out like. And Jesus detects something is going on with this guy than more than a simple request for justice and fairness, if you detected that. He senses that this guy wants him to rule in his favor, to give him this land or this inheritance um, from his brother. And so... Basically, he's asking for a monopoly-style land grab with a religious stamp on it. And Jesus, he wants none of it. Has nothing to do with it. Instead, he decides to do what mom and dad like to do and turn that into a teachable moment for us all, right? He tells them this story as an object lesson. And there was a certain man who had farmed his land And as serendipity would have it, he had a bumper crop on his hand. He had worked hard, mind you. He'd worked honestly. And so he didn't have to, he wasn't swindling anyone. He wasn't cheating the poor out of their money. He had simply worked hard. But in reality, the one who did the far heavier lifting in this scenario is, you know, the sun and the rain, the seasons and the soil. And so really, this is more akin to a lottery ticket dropped in this man's lap as a gift. 
And then as he sizes up the bumper crop and sees the size of his barns, he realizes that it couldn't possibly fit, and that's a big problem. What should I do about it, he wonders. And so he talks to himself like you and I talk to ourselves. And he ruminates about how to make this work, and he lands on this plan. I'm going to build builder, I'm going to build bigger and better barns. That way, I can store all of the grain without wasting it. Brilliant. Right? What is even more brilliant is that he can also retire in style. Worry-free. From this time forward, he can sit on his rocking chair on his porch, glass in hand, food aplenty, and simply rock away and enjoy the rest of his days without a care in the world. And presumably, that's just what he sets out to do. He tore down his barns, he built bigger ones, and put that bumper crop into those barns so that he could take it easy from here on out. That sounds so reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, imagine if you were in this guy's shoes. Imagine if you were to have a lottery ticket, like, dropped into your lap, or you receive some surprise inheritance from some long-lost uncle that you didn't know you had, right? What would you do? Maybe you wouldn't know exactly what to do, and so you'd reach out for a financial expert or two, you know, Suze Orman or Dave Ramsey. I mean, people flock to them for financial advice and for good reason because they're really helpful in kind of cleaning up our financial worlds. And so you'd explain your situation to them and how you'd come into a bunch of money what would you expect them to advise you to do? Probably they'd say, you know, keep that money until you can meet with a financial advisor, learn how to invest it so that you can store it up for yourself. They'd probably advise you to do the same thing that this guy does, right? So everything he does fits with our conventional wisdom. It makes sense to do what he does. It, it's, a, it's prudent because that's how the game is played, right? Earning, acquiring, accumulating. That's how Monopoly told us to play this game. But there's a danger in simply going along with the game or simply mindlessly playing this game like that, like Monopoly. We can forget or lose sight of what's really important. And that's what happened to this guy, because God has a very different verdict on his heart playing a game like that. This God's what God said. Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? God's verdict is that he is a fool. For all the conventional wisdom he might have used, God's conclusion was that he was foolish because he had left out what matters most. Now, don't check out. Right? Just to be clear, this isn't about having money, being rich, or saving for retirement. Right? I mean, in church history, that's kind of been the line that has been taken that, you know been relayed, you know, a call to poverty, you know, as the ideal. That's not what's going on here. This man is foolish, not because he have, has money, not because he has a bumper crop and wants to retire. It's because of his heart failing to account 
for what matters most and having built a life on what matters most. I mean, look back to the, the, the story. Notice two key t- details here. First, this guy is rich. This isn't the story of a pauper become a prince. This isn't a, a poor man having struck it rich. This is a wealthy man who would be very much at home here at FBC. Objectively, he has plenty and he comes into more. That's why he has barns, not just a barn. He's a millionaire who hits the lottery and becomes a multimillionaire or even a billionaire. Second, uh, notice the pronouns that this rich guy uses in delivering about what he should do with the windfall. You notice all of them. That's incredibly telling. It means everything he thought about, everything he concluded revolves simply around himself and himself alone. There's no mention of God, whom he might want to thank, or even tangibly worship in an offering. Uh, There's no vision for disadvantaged people here either, or an an empathy for the neediness around him that I'm sure he was surrounded by, who might benefit from just a, a portion of that windfall. There's no conversation even with anybody else, not a spouse, not family, not friends, or neighbors, which is so strange in a very gregarious culture like this one. It's strange in our world because we would at least reach out to Suze Orman or Dave Ramsey, right? These two details are telling about why God gives that verdict a fool that he does. This man has played the game of life like it was Monopoly and left out what mattered most. This man is already rich, and so, so the bigger barns weren't so much for retirement, if we could be honest, as much as it was for accumulating unused excess, or what the Bible calls hoarding. And this man is all alone, without any vision outside of himself, or a sense of people around him. And so this, excuse me, this is what a heart infected with greed looks like. Look carefully at him. Don't avert your eyes because it may hit close to home here. It does for me and so I'm tempted to look away. Let's not do that. Jesus gives this man as a warning to us about the dynamics of greed and how it operates in our lives. Because greed is so hard to see. Greed rarely comes out in the open in your life and in my life, jumping up and down, waving its arms and saying, here I am, like so many other sin and idolatry does. Rather, greed sort of hides in our life behind other things. In my nearly 25 years of pastoral ministry, people have confessed all sorts of sin to me. And they have pointed out all kinds of brokenness 
to me. But greed has never been in that mix. No one has ever come to me and said, I'm having trouble with spending too much, Steve. I'm saving way too much, and I think it's actually hurting me, my family, or my friends. And with all my interactions with other pastors, I've never heard that story either. Because greed, it hides in our life. It hides behind thoughts that we have like, well, I don't live as well as she does, or him, or them. It hides under the desires of good things in our life, you know, like security and significance and control, where we functionally believe that, that acquiring money will give us that stuff, that significance, and that control, or at least more of it to make us feel better. For this man, greed was underneath his reasoning for storing all that to gain ease in life. So, you know, there was that stuff and that greed was under, what, what was it? I mean, was it comfort? Was it significance for him? Was it, was it just pleasure? I mean, fill in the blanks. But Jesus gives this man as a warning for us to look very carefully at ourselves. To look underneath those things we say we need and see if there is a drive to earn, acquire, and, ac- and accumulate in monopoly-styled gamesmanship to meet those needs. In particular, he's suggesting to look very, very, very carefully at excessive worry about money, especially when we have more than most. The excessive worry is that we have is very symptomatic of greed. And so we're to look at that excessive worry that we have and trace it back to a source and see, is greed their line there? Do we believe money will solve and fix that problem? After all, excessive worry about money, money is what prompted Jesus to tell this story. And that's what this man showed in his internal deliberations. And so, let me ask us a little question. Let me just ask you, what's your level of worry when it comes to money these days? that, That worry is not bad. It's just signaling that there is something very, very important in our lives that we believe is really important. And so, does your worry about money suggest an excessive importance of money that you might have? of its necessity to give you security that you crave, a retirement that you want, a house that you want to live in, a significance with people, a recognition that you crave. To be honest, I've I've had to ask myself those same hard questions (laughs) um, as I've studied this and do some soul searching because I have my own worries about money. I mean, I worry about having enough for retirement and to pay off my mortgage. Um, Worry about having enough for my family. Um, Worry about having enough for rainy days. But I know that I'm not alone in this area and probably in this room. Arthur Brooks, who I keep flashing up here, keep wanting to get to here, um, 
He's an author, he's a researcher, he's a speaker. He's also a regular contributor to The Atlantic. And in one of his articles in The Atlantic, he, he headlined it by saying, money is one of the things Americans worry most about most in the world. And then, annoyingly, he gave evidence of why he would dare even suggest something of us like that. He observed a survey that found that when the U.S. economy is thriving, more than half of Americans felt anxious or insecure about money, not just sometimes, but even oftentimes, even when the economy is booming. He pointed out another survey around COVID pandemic that found workers were five times more likely to worry about money than to worry about their health. He observed that even though only 11% of Americans live in poverty, more than half of the millionaire millennials feared losing their wealth a great deal or somewhat. And oh, by the way, millionaire boomers, you didn't fare much better. A third of you worried a great deal or somewhat about losing money. Money is a source of worry for many, many Americans, many of whom the rest of the world would look at and say, why the worry, folks? So listen, this is worth a good look over our worry about money and reflecting, is it excessive for the situation that we actually find ourselves in? It's worth asking a trusted friend to get an outsider's perspective and help to see if greed might be coloring underneath in our heart. You see, we're not to play this game of life like it's Monopoly. That's why Jesus tells us the parable. And then he sums up the lesson in a single sentence to make sure that no one misses the point. He says there's a different way to play the game, actually, and there's a different skill set to prioritize to actually what matters most. And, and here's how Jesus put it. He said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus makes this breathtakingly easy. The object of the game is to play it in such a way that we are rich toward God. That's a skill we can learn. Uh, priority and to prioritize with God's help and the power of his spirit in our lives and what, what Jesus has done and so that we can play for what really matters in the long view of our life. For what matters for what people would say maybe at our funeral about us. For what God and what matters to him as we stand before him in eternity. What is included with being rich toward God? The very things that the man was missing. Love for God and love for others. To love God means to give God what he really wants. And what he most desires of all of us, what he really wants from us is not our resources, it's not our service, it's just us. It's just us. So much so that he sacrificed his son Jesus on the cross for our sin resurrected him to life so that we could live in God's power, that we could live in his presence right now by faith. And so to love God means to give him what he really wants, 
us. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Augustine summed up ethics like this. He said, love God and do what you will. Because to love God means that we will invariably do and be whom he wants us to do and be. Maybe an analogy would help here. Um, Jenny and I have entered a new era of our life that many of you know about, of having an empty nest. Um, Both of our sons have moved out. I better like to think of it as launching them. Um, So it's just Jenny and me in our home right now. Do we miss our sons? Yes, I'm not heartless. Come on. Um, We're also really proud. And we're really happy that they're taking this next stage in life and they keep taking steps forward. We're super happy, super proud. Um, But are we sad to kind of end this era that we've been in of parenting? Like them being in our home? Kinda. (laughs) But to be honest, it kind of feels like a new lease on love for us. I mean, we just look forward to spending our days together now. Um lingering with each other without interruption and and without interference. In fact, we're already doing that, right? Hasn't even been a week. (laughs) And I'm not talking about doing anything fancy or grandiose. It's simply doing the normal things that we do in an ordinary day, but doing it in each other's presence and simply enjoying all of that with each other because of just how we love each other, to be honest. And that is the vision of what it is to love God. It's to be present with God in our very ordinary days. It's about prioritizing and doing the things that we need to put ourselves in a posture of of being with God that day. You know, church on Sundays just sort of frame us towards that disposition. You know, daily intervals to stop and pray to get our minds there and our spirits there. The regular intake of scripture to give us, kind of keep us rooted in this larger story that we live in with God and where's it going? Meeting up with other followers of Jesus in smaller groups or one-on-one that kind of stirs up our love, stirs up our efforts again to pursue God. And as we do that, we'll know him more and even grow to love him more because he is love. And that's what it is to be rich toward God. And so what practices do you have put in place to spend your day with God? Which new ones do you need to pick up to kind of have that posture? What old ones do you need to discard because it's just kind of become a religious checkbox? Being rich toward God is developing the skill to love God by giving him what he really wants. And the reason that he made all of the sacrifices he did with Jesus to make it possible. It's the skill of giving him us in our ordinary days, nothing grandiose, and saying, you know, I'm going to spend today with you, God. And being rich towards God, it also involves loving to love others. It means being for people. After all, God envisions them to be, and, and all that God has envisioned him to be. Let me say that again because I think I got tongue-tied there. It is to be for people and to be for all that God has envisioned them to be. How's that? 
It's to take the love that you and I have experienced from God in Jesus and reflecting that to other people. And so loving others means making them a priority in our life and to care for them as Jesus would in our place. Think of it this way. Suppose you had these blue and red stickers, right? Um, and you could then walk around your life. You could walk around your scene life and you could put the red stickers on what makes you rich towards God, and you could put blue stickers on what really does matter. So what doesn't make you rich, what makes you rich. Got it? Okay. Now, what should get the red stickers and what should get the blue stickers in your life? I mean, the TV. For video games and entertainment. That gets a red one, right? right? Um, the phone. This one's going to hurt. It's a red sticker. Right? Our cars. Can you see this? It may look like a sports car, but since we're in Davis, it's a Prius. Okay? That gets a red sticker. Or maybe you're more of a truck person. Steve. That gets a red sticker. I mean, can you imagine doing this in your life, right? Putting red stickers on so much of what we acquire in this Monopoly style. You know, houses and furniture and our wallet. None of that is bad, right? It's just that it gets a red sticker. It gets a red sticker is something that doesn't make us rich toward God. But then we have this whole sheet of blue ones, right? Um... What would go on? What would we put these blue stickers on? Every person you see, like Derek is going to do. We just put blue stickers on everyone. Family, roommates, and friends, bosses, teachers, and professors colleagues and schoolmates, neighbors, Democrats, Republicans, and even our enemies. Oh, and you'd have to put one on yourself too. All the people where you live and you work and you play would have that blue sticker then with everything in our tangible world labeled red and blue stickers, right? Being rich toward God means building our life around what has a blue sticker that keeps going out, okay? And squeezing in what has a red sticker on it. Listen carefully again. It means prioritizing what has a blue sticker and making and squeezing in, if you will, what has a red sticker. So as you think about the blue and red stickers in your life, ho hopefully you are imagining this. Um, what color actually gets more of your priority? More of your skill? More of your daydreams? And if you want the blue stickers to have a higher priority, then, then what are you going to do with the red stickers and how are you going to lessen them? How are you going to say no to them? and yes to more of the blue stickers. How will you help yourself lessen your attention on those red 
stickers. You see, we're not to play this game of life like it's Monopoly. Because what really matters is being rich towards God in loving him and loving others. That article from The Atlantic that I mentioned earlier with Arthur Brooks, and he made that observation about how we worry about money. He also gave some perspective and advice for us. He said, he also said this, he said, he who knows he has enough is rich. Lao Tzu said in the Tao Te Ching. In other words, you'll be happiest if you're rich in what really matters. Maybe that means you'll wind up with a lot of money, and maybe it doesn't. The key is to remember that money can never be what makes you truly prosperous. The rich life doesn't necessarily have a lot of money in it, monopoly style, does it? The rich life is one that is rich toward God and with what really matters, love. So let's pray to that end, shall we? God, we bring our hearts before you this morning because, God, in in this kind of a thing, we can just quickly move past this and, and come up with all kinds of excuses of, uh, of, uh, of why we want money or how we don't want it as much as others. God, we want to simply bring our hearts before you for your spirit's inspection, trusting that you are good and that you are kind to help us search this out in our lives. And God, we know that those things have red stickers on them. (laughs) It just does. And so God, would you help us to rearrange our life, rearrange our priorities, even starting as we leave this morning, would you help us to rearrange that we, we could give real priority to the blue stickers, to give real priority to you in doing our days with you because of what Jesus has done for us. And that we would kind of lessen our priority, lessen our attention, lessen our worry over the red stickers. God, we ask that you'd help us to do this because we're scared to go in this new direction. We're we're worried about what it might mean. But God, give us a heart full of trust in you, knowing that you demonstrated your love for us in Jesus and so we can trust you even with this. And so lead us on, we pray. In Jesus' name. was preaching the prayer from uh, Psalm 139 was within me search me O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there be some foolish ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting pray that God will help us that he would search our hearts and uncover every weird greed might be locking within us in Jesus name Amen
I'll just run through a few of the announcements and the things we need to know. Um, you can continue to worship through giving by using the boxes at the back of the church or um, giving online through the website. And also, if you had wanted to connect with us, maybe you're new and uh, you had filled in the connect card or you plan to, um, please do fill in the connect card um, with your comments, with your information, with prayer requests, with testimonies you want to share. And uh, do take it out to the back at the connect table and uh, you'll be attended to. Also, I want to advise us to... Every week we have a, a connect... A, Sunday handout that is, that is shared around at the back. You know, it contains information about the life of the church. It would be nice for you to grab one. But I'll just point out two of the things that are on the Sunday handout for today. One is, just as Steve has preached, after, right after the service closes, we'll be having a finance workshop at the fellowship hall. And um, we're, it's going to be about around budgeting. And we have two wonderful facilitators who would lead us through that. It's, if you, if, even if you know how to budget and you've been budgeting for some years, it's a way of building in the skills and um, reviewing your budgeting practices. And secondly, um, group life. The, the idea is this. Every, every year around the fall, we, we pick up with our small groups again. And it's chances for people to meet together during the week and to pray and to review scriptures and to and to just be the church in the small in in these small units um so here it is if you want to know more about the groups and the small groups in the church that will be starting up very soon some never really ended please do go outside to the connect table all the information you need will be there if, if you maybe you want one that is relevant to your age group maybe young adults college or you want one that's closer to where you live woodland dixon not Davis, Central Davis. All the information you need about that will be out there. Um, can we stand up as we receive this benediction? As you go forth this week, may the God of all love fill us with love for him and with love for everyone around us. May the things that matter to God's heart matter to our heart. And may the wisdom and the grace to prioritize the important things in life fuel us. Go, and the Lord will be with you. Now have a wonderful day. I would either see you at the fellowship hall or I'll see you next week. God bless you, church.